Today, we'll see where we find what is called the rapture in the book of Revelation. The rapture in the book of Revelation. I find that there is great confusion around this event. And I want today to clear up some of that confusion. And I want to start off by saying, I don't like the term rapture. If you've come to the church for any amount of time, then you know that I have said that before. Most recently, when we were in Luke 21 on Sunday morning, and we were talking about Jesus, talking about the last days, and Jesus says, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. And so we spoke about the rapture, and I pointed out what I want to point out tonight, well, the point I really want to make is that the rapture is not an independent event. And, and, I, and I need to blame people, I need, I need to blame myself. I need to blame people like myself that teach the rapture as an independent event. That one day, Jesus is gonna come back for his church and boom, we're all gonna be changed and we're gonna be in his presence. But what we leave out when we preach that is that the whole thing is a smaller part. The, what we call the rapture is a smaller part of the resurrection of all of those in Christ. It says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 that he returns and brings back with him all of those in Christ. And we might consider Christ to be a very Christian term, but I want to remind you that that is the, theolo or the Hebrew word for Messiah. So he brings back with him all of those who are in Messiah and he raises them from the dead. It is the resurrection. So when people say, well, it's kind of strange that all you Christians are just going to disappear. Yeah, it's kind of strange that all the bodies of all the Christians are going to disappear. Now, I'll explain to you what I think the rapture is going to be like. I think there's a lot of guessing that takes place as you go along. But I just want to remind you that really what I like to call the rapture now, this is the term that I've uh, began to use. Somebody suggested when we were in Luke 21 that I use resurrapture as the word, that, that the resurrapture. Um, and I do like that for various reasons, partially because it sounds like Jurassic Park. And that might be the most reason that I like it. Resurrection rapture would be, uh, would be awesome. But I think the term that I'm going to use instead, and I will use rapture from time to time because it's a standard word, it's not going to go away. But I want to I want to say the resurrection of the living and the dead, because that's what takes place on that day. It is the resurrection of the living and the dead. And I take that from one of the creeds. I think the Apostles Creed, the Apostles Creed was written between 125 and 135. And if you ever have time to go and just read what's in the Apostles Creed, take time to read it. I would love to read it to you today, but it has every aspect of what we believe as Christians in it. All of the spots of everything that we believe uh, that makes Christians orthodox is in the Apostles' Creed. And when it says there, we believe in the Catholic Church, the original, original Apostles' Creed was written in Greek, and it's a term that means in general, the general church, the all-encompassing. It doesn't mean the Catholic denomination, which didn't come along until 300 years later, but it means the, the, that the whole church was saying, we identify ourselves with everyone who's a Christian who believes all of these things that are in the creed. Now, the reason I bring up the creed is because at the end of it, 
It says, we believe in the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the saints. And from there, you can go to read the other creeds, the Nicene creeds and the other statements of faith. And they will all make that statement. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Because every once in a while, I run into someone who tells me, I don't believe the rapture of the church. In fact, at Luke 21, someone met me right down here and said, I'm one of those that doesn't believe that there is a rapture. But you have to believe that there is a rapture. The Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in a rapture, but I understand why. Okay, and, but you as a Christian, it is the resurrection. You can't deny the resurrection. You can't say there will be no resurrection. And you say, well, I don't deny the resurrection, but I deny the rapture. Well, what, what is God going to do with the Christians who are alive when there's a resurrection? What's God going to do with them? You say, well, I don't think it's till after the tribulation period. Same problem. There are people who will live through the tribulation period. And so you will have the resurrection. But what will God do to the Christians who are there who are not dead? Same problem if you say, well, I'm an all-millennialist. I just believe Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus returns, we're going to be resurrected. What's he going to do with the ones who are alive? You say, I'm post-millennial. I believe we're building a kingdom to take back the world and we're going to hand Jesus a Christianized world. S same problem. What are you going to do with the Christians who are alive when Jesus returns? They have to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. They have to be changed in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye. Now, you remember when we were in the study of the letter of the, to the Philadelphians just a few weeks ago that we saw that God said to the Philadelphians, they're the faithful church, they kept God's word, and God said to the Philadelphians, I have set before you a door and no one can shut it and no one can open it. And then this same church, he said, I am going to keep you from the hour of testing that will come upon this whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Both of those are in Revelation chapter three, an open door. I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing that's going to test those who dwell on the earth. And then in verse one of Revelation chapter four, as we get into the heavenly visions, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Now, as I read that, and I realize there's different ways to read it, but as I read it, the after this is after the church age. The come up here is after the church age, and I'm keeping it in context, the open door that was open for Philadelphia so that they could escape the things that were going to come to pass is the open door that brought them up into heaven where they will see the heavenly throne, where they will see people worshiping him, where eventually Jesus will begin the tribulation period by tearing the first of the seven seals. Now, I know that on this video, because I think the thumbnail reads rapture or resurrection, and I think the title is clearing up confusion on the rapture. 
So here's the kind of things I'm going to get on. on these are the kind of comments that I'm going to get on it. There's going to be some that say the teaching of the doctrine is a false teacher. And you're a false teacher because you're te uh, teaching the doctrine of the rapture. The teaching of the, of the rapture is a false doctrine. I'm going to get some who are going to say the word rapture is never in the Bible. And to you guys and also to the Jehovah Witnesses that that's your main go-to, stop it. Just because the word rapture isn't in the Bible doesn't mean there isn't a rapture. They'll say the same thing. The word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Just because the word Trinity isn't in the Bible doesn't mean it's in the Bible. I, I'm not being mean. Maybe, maybe I am a little bit, but I, I'm not, I don't mean to be mean. I'm not being mean just to be mean. But that kind of an argument, the word isn't in the Bible, is elementary school arguments. You've got to prove the concept of the rapture or the concept of the Trinity is not in the Bible. But I'm going to get it. I'm going to get people that say the, the word rapture is never in the Bible. I'm going to get the, the, rap, rap, uh, the rapture is never taught in the Bible. To responses like that, I usually respond back with, yes, they are. Yes, it is. That's my response. Because if they're not going to give me an explanation as to why they don't think it's in the Bible, what they're going to do with 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, then that's the way I'm going to respond. Um, the rapture is not taught in the Bible. You, here's another one that I'll get. You don't find the rapture before Darby taught it in the late 1800s, and he went to go see a demon-possessed girl by the name of Margaret McDonald, and she gave him a vision of the pre-tribulation rapture, and that's where he got it, and then he brought it to Schofield. Schofield put it in his Bible, and that's why people teach the rapture today. Let me say of that statement, it's a myth. He, he, did not, he did not get the concept of being caught up in the clouds from, Mary, uh, from Margaret MacDonald. Go, you can go online, you can read her vision that he supposedly got it from, and it is post-tribulation. I was uh, teaching on this in our prophecy conference last year, and I was talking to David Guzek afterwards, and David was like, I didn't know this. And I go, look it up, man, because it's true. It's true. He taught his stuff on 1 Thessalonians 5, before he went to go see uh, Margaret MacDonald, and then uh, Margaret MacDonald's vision, which you can read, the first and second part of it, are post-trib. And he goes, so the next time someone tells me that we got the rapture from a demon-possessed girl, I can say, the demon-possessed girl's on your team, not ours. I'm like, bingo. That's it. To say that the church never taught the rapture before the late 1800s, before Darby, is a myth. It's a Christian myth. Uh, years ago, I heard someone say, uh, I heard a preacher say, they were drilling a, a, a hole in, in Russia and they, it was a super deep hole. And then they, they stopped and they heard something and they, they dropped a microphone down in it and they heard the screams from hell. You guys ever hear that one? Out of curiosity, and you guys ever hear that one preached? Yeah, Jenny, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm telling you, one preacher said it, then another preacher said it, then another preacher said it, and it's a myth. It never happened. Neither are there demons screaming and rattling chains around the Euphrates River right now, okay? That's a myth as well. So it's a myth. So let me just say to you guys who are teaching that Darby got it from a demon-possessed girl and it wasn't around before Darby, stop spreading the lies. Stop spreading the lies. That's all that they are. All right, let's talk, about, let's talk about what the rapture is. The rapture is a smaller part of the event we call the resurrection. 
The Bible teaches that all who are in Christ will be, will be was resurrected. So we will all have to be resurrected. Let me give you a few verses. John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So the one who's going to die is going to live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said there, if you die, you will live. And if you believe in me and don't die, you're going to live as well. So right there, Romans 8, 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. John 6, 40, this is all on the resurrection. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees Jesus and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up in the last days. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall live arise. They shall arise. This is Isaiah. This is the Old Testament. Let me read this again because it's significant. It's Isaiah. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. One of the reasons that that is so significant out of Isaiah is because there is a scholar by the name of Bart Ehrmond who is a biblical non-Christian scholar who says they didn't teach life after death in the Old Testament. I, I thought about it before. I'm amazed at how often it does and that a scholar could say such things because I'm going to assume he is either not a very good scholar, which I don't believe, I think he's a great scholar or that he's unpurposely deceiving people. And that's sad. When you read, when someone exposes you to Bart Ehrman stuff, make sure you check it out. Make sure you follow it through because as I said, he's either, he either doesn't know when he says that in the Old Testament, they never talked about uh, life after death. They didn't believe. They just believed you went to the grave. Or, he, or he's, he's being deceptive. And I won't judge him. I might have already judged him here, but I'm not going to judge him here. If you hear anything that Bart Ehrman says as a, as a New Testament scholar, check it out. Acts 2.24, this is the last one. Acts 24.15, this is the last one on the resurrection. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that they will be resurrected of the dead, uh, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. So Daniel 12 says some will arise to everlasting contempt and some will arise to everlasting judgment, <laughs> to which I also say to Bart Ehrman, that's in the Old Testament. Some will arise to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. When the resurrection happens, what will happen to those who are alive in Christ? This is what we call the rapture of the church. Listen to the two main passages that the teaching of the rapture comes from. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. By fallen asleep, he means dead. They died. Again, 
Jehovah's Witnesses teach soul sleep. This isn't soul sleep. They're not up in heaven sleeping now. To be absent into the body is to be present with God. He says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Again, sleep is to die. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, whenever that is, pre-trip, mid-trip, pre-wrath, post-trip, all-millennial, post-millennial, the Lord's returning. That's the creed that, that makes that, that causes us to know that we are Christians. If you deny the resurrection of saints, then you fall outside of the realm of Christianity. Just understand that. There's a, there's a lot of things that we can look at and we can decide on our own and that we can believe in, but also there's been a lot of work done before us. And if you say there is no resurrection, like a full preterist does, the preterist believes revelation was fulfilled back in 70 AD and that Jesus returned in 70 AD. And because they deny the return and the resurrection of the body, we call them heretics. We, we would say they're not part of the Christian body. So he says, for we say to you by the word of the Lord that those who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We connect that to the text earlier where he said, for we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, now the dead in Christ are going to rise again then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. This is what happens to the Christians who are alive during that time. We are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, it's so funny, once we, we open it up for questions, after talking about the rapture, here's the questions we get. Do pets go in the rapture? Do, are, are our clothes going to be left behind? Well, I don't know, but you better keep clean underwear because... Could be scary for someone if that's not the case. I'm just going to tell you what I think. I think there'll be no trace of us. That's what I think. I don't have anything biblically to back it up. I'm giving you 100% opinion, but that's how I think and feel. I don't think they're going to come and find, there's Robert's clothes. He's running around naked somewhere. I just don't think that's going to happen. And the strangeness of this, remember, it's the end of the world. Things are coming apart. There's a rise of the Antichrist. There, there, uh, the, our, our not only our climate, but our universe is coming unglued. There's going to be a heaven quake and the stars are going to fall from the sky. Things are going to start coming out of place in the universe. So yeah, this is going to be weird, but it's in the midst of a very weird time. So when will the first resurrection happen then? I'm going to cover passages now that I believe when the first resurrection will happen. If you're here in your mid-trib, if you're here in your post-trib, if you're here in your pre-wrath, if you're here in your pan-trib, which I don't like, I think you're copping out. It'll all pan out in the end. That's the pan-trib. I don't care. It'll all pan out in the end. Little, just dive into the Bible a little bit. Just go see what you think about the passages that are there. God's given us these passages for a reason. Figure it out. Look, look into it. But if you are, then we're all a part of Christ. 
You are my brother and sister in the Lord. We serve Christ together. We love that you're here. And I, uh, in our last, our last prophecy conference, somebody asked if we would have an assistant pastor on staff who didn't believe in the pre-trib rapture. And my response ultimately was, no, we would not have an assistant pastor that didn't believe in the pre-trib rapture. But I said, but we would certainly have someone work at the door or the coffee shop, maybe even in the Sunday school, if they understood our position and didn't cause division. That's the qualifier. Because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's like, we believe everything else the same. Everything else. Except I believe Jesus comes back three and a half years before you do. And on a comment on a social thing, you call me an idiot. Because I believe everything you believe, but I believe Jesus is coming back three and a half years before you do. Somehow we've got our priorities all messed up on what ought to be dividers among us. I don't know how long you've been involved in Calvary Chapel, but years ago we used to hand out bulletins. It was a long time ago. We handed out bulletins. And on the back of the bulletin, we had a statement that every Calvary Chapel had on it. It was given, first of all, by Pastor Chuck in Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. And here's what it said. We are not a denomination. Neither are we opposed to denominations as such, but only the overemphasis upon denominations that has divided the body of Christ. That was on every Calvary Chapel bulletin across the United States from, say, 1970 until somewhere around the 90s when when we began to drop off bulletins and not say it anymore. That's what Calvary Chapel was born under. Only the overemphasis on differences that divide the body of Christ. I'm not afraid to be divided if you don't believe Jesus is God. I'm not afraid to divide over the things that need to be divided over. But I refuse to divide over something like the rapture, or Calvinism, or other aspects that don't fall out of the preview of what we find in the creeds. Now, let me also read to you a couple more verses. Um, I, um, as I said, I believe that the tribulation happens, that the, the rapture happens before the tribulation. Because the tribulation is a time of God's wrath. You and I are his bride. And he's not angry at us. The Bible says in Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. We also know that he's judging those who dwell on the earth. And you and I are sojourners through this land. We're supposed to be like Abraham. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10 says, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, and whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. We are not appointed to his wrath. Now, let me read you Isaiah 13, 9 through 13. This is a description of the tribulation period. Jesus said, there is a time coming that is worse than anything this world will ever see and anything this world has ever seen. We know 
that a third of the earth will be destroyed because of a meteor hits it. Another third of the earth will be destroyed because of water. Literally billions of people will die during the tribulation period. 75 pound hailstones will fall from the sky and there is no place to hide. Some believe 120 pounds. There's no place to hide from a 75 pound hailstone. It's, th this building isn't going to stop it. There's no place to hide from them. So here's what it says. This is Isaiah 13, 9 through 13. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellation, constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. This is all in the book of Revelation. I will punish the world. Who is he punishing? Those who dwell on the earth. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold. It says that the flesh, that flesh will become rare in the New Testament. I will make the mortal more rare than fine gold. A man more than a golden wedge of Ophir. Have no idea what that is. But then here, listen to this. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of its place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. We have been delivered from the wrath to come, Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And the tribulation period is all about his wrath. Now, this is not the only place it calls it, wrath and indignation. I would have no problem with saying that we as the church are going to go through the tribulation period if the tribulation period were natural disasters or humans rising up to a level of wickedness and men being punished because of it. If the source of the tribulation were human or sin or demonic or anything else but God, I would say there's no reason why we can't be in it. But we're his bride. We're his church. We're gonna have, we're gonna have the bride of the lamb but he's going to let us get beat up by, he's like, let me beat you up for a while before I make you my bride. And I take that from the late Dr. Ed Heinsen, by the way, who's with us last year and made that exact statement from this stage. He's not going to beat you up before he takes you as his bride. We are not appointed for the wrath that is to come. Remember in Luke 21, 34 through 36, Jesus said, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. The Bible says that the last days are like the days of Noah. This is in John 17, 24. We covered this. We're in Luke 23 now. This was 17, probably a year ago. Maybe it's not quite that long ago, but you can go back and find this study. So this is the last days are going to be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Listen to what it says. For as lightning that flashes from one part under heaven and shines to another part under heaven, so also will the Son of Man be in his day. 
When Jesus returns, everybody's going to see it. On the day he comes back, it's a, it's a universal event. The Bible says every eye will see him. So how that works, I don't know. But every eye will see him. I figure if men can do it through TV, God can probably do it any way he wants to. No matter what side of the earth he returns on, everyone's going to see him. So that's when he returns. But then he says this, and it was, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So you have also the Son of Man will be in his day. So that's the day he returns. But there are the days of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriages until the day Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So in other words, it's not saying, people will try to say this and then they want to make connections. Well, there was violence on the earth, so there's violence on the earth today. There was some kind of genetic mutation taking place between the sons of God and the daughters of men and there were Nephilim in the land. And so that has to be happening today because he said it was going to be like the days of Noah. Look, listen to what he said. As it was in the days of Noah, they ate, they drank, they married. They were going on with their lives like normal until the day Noah entered the ark and then destruction, the water came and took them all away. And the, and the eight people were saved above the destruction. So in other words, the day Jesus comes back, there will be weddings. There will be joy. People will be eating and drinking. Jesus said, I come back on a day you don't expect me. It's not going to be like the apocalypse. It's not going to be. I'm talking about the one with Marlon Brando. I'm not going to be like helicopters going and smoke burning. And we're all like, Jesus is coming back today. It's going to, we're going to be at a wedding. People are going on with their lives like normal. That's the world Jesus comes back in. And by the time he returns, every eye will see him. This is not the destroy. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that another time. I'm looking at the clock. I, I don't have enough time to deal with who's taken and who's left, right? So there's those passages that talk about one being taken and the other left. Well, now there's all kinds of people that say that the ones who are taken are the ones who were destroyed. And I'll just say, I'll show you someday why that's not the case. But um, let's go and look, read what else he says about the days of Lot. He says, makes the same point. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be when the Son of Man is revealed. So they're going to be going through life as normal. If this was the end of the tribulation or even the middle of it, People aren't going to be doing these things. Read the end of the, uh, of the tribulation period. We'll read it together. I'll point it out again to you when we get there. They're not going to be doing these things. They ate, they'll eat, they drank, they'll drink, they bought, probably won't buy, won't sell, won't plant, won't build, won't marry, won't be given in marriage. They're going to be hiding under rocks from the wrath of the Lamb. They're going to hope they survive because the water's been contaminated. The, the earth is shaking. The, the earth has wobbled to and fro like a drunk man. The scars are shaking out of the sky. That's not when we're going to get into the ark. It's not when God's going to take us by the hand and lead us out. When people are eating and drinking and marrying, we're taken by the hand and we're let out. Or we get into the ark and then these things happen. 
Now, Jesus also said that he's coming back for us in John 14, one through three. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. He didn't say I will come again and be with you there, but I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you will be also. And so people say to me, that's just Jesus coming when people die. When they die, he's saying, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. That's not the way he worded it. I will come again. That's, that's apocalyptic literature. That's apocalyptic wording. I will come again. He said that in other places and meant certain things. He's not saying when you die, I will come and get you. He's saying, I will come and receive you to myself that where I am there, you can be also. And we will be with him. And so we have an open door in the book of Revelation. The faithful church has promised that they'll escape through that door. There is a door that is open in heaven. And I want to read you one more passage in the book of Revelation on an open door. This is Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal. For you were slain and have revealed to us by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation and have made, known, made us kings and priests of God and we shall reign on the earth. Now I have a lot to say when I get there, but this is the vision, the heavenly vision of every person of every tongue, tribe, and nation. I think we're seeing the gathering of the resurrected, the resurrection of the living and the dead that stands before the throne of God in Revelation chapter five. And I think if, if we had a thesis from all of the passages I just covered, plus there's more, by the way, which I didn't have time to cover, the study on the pre-tribulation rapture today was not conclu uh, inclusive. I don't know if it was conclusive either, but it wasn't inclusive. Um, so if I have a theory through scripture that God's going to come and take us out before the tribulation period is wrath, then I would expect when I went to the book of Revelation to find something at the end of the church age, the end of verse three, that would look like the rapture. And so if I tested that, I come back to Revelation 4.1 and I stood and there was a door open before me and a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. It fits perfect with what the Bible says about it. Does it sound weird to this world? Yes. Do they mock us? Yes. Do they make fun of us for it? Yes. But just because something's weird doesn't mean it isn't true. There are weird things that happen on the world that are true. You ever heard the statement, truth is stranger than fiction? There are things in the Bible that are weird that are true. Dude got swallowed by a fish. It's a little weird. And we don't go, well, that's not true. Be careful. Some of you in this as strongly as I can. The denial of Christ coming for his church in the resurrection by the cults 
should not be embraced by the church. Be careful when you deny the rapture that you are not denying the resurrection. That's why when people respond and say, there is no rapture, I respond with, you're wrong. You're wrong. There is, but it's part of the resurrection. You just see it as an independent event. And you think it's weird. But just because something weird doesn't mean it's not true. And don't get caught up following what the cults believe and the cults teach, but be rooted and grounded in Scripture. Paul said, behold, I tell you a mystery. It's mysterious. It's, it's, that's, it's a mystery. No wonder we have problems with it. We're not all going to die, but some of us are going to be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And I, for one, vote for that. And I hope you do too. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word is so clear and so direct about your return and about your love for us and about your saving us from the wrath that is to come. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would help us, that we would live our lives for you like we're supposed to, because we don't know when you're coming back. So we need to live our lives, but we need to be ready for you like, like you're coming today. And I pray for those that are here today that aren't ready, that they would get themselves ready now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.